0: It is the ultimate buyer's guide for luxury gadgets and creative gifts. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome to another edition of Art of the Kickstart. Today I am joined with Adam Clark, founder of KickTrack. Adam, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, so KickTrack's been around since I believe April of 2012, kind of around where we were finishing, uh, Command Partners was finishing their first reward-based crowdfunding campaign on Kickstarter. Give our audience a brief description or overview of KickTrack and what the backstory is there. Um, so KickTrack is uh, an analytics tool where we monitor
1: Kickstarter campaigns for you know, things that are happening on their particular their projects. So how much they're getting per day, how many backers are getting per day, which rewards are trending, And then we also collate any news and aggregate uh, updates for the projects all in kind of one place so you can hopefully correlate things like when specific news sources write about a project, how much impact
0: did it have on the project, those type of things. So are you ever going to go into Indiegogo integration of data? Uh, Possibly. Uh, We've talked to them a little bit. Although, especially given my specific passions in the board game space, that's
1: sort of what drove the, the, the initial creation of kick track so the majority of board games run on Kickstarter. so that's kind of where our focus is right now even though the tool is kind of expanded to cover a lot of different projects almost all of them surprisingly because all the projects are added by backers in the tool so it's really interesting to see how lots of folks want to use them even completely small projects are adding their own projects to kick track just to kind of have them on there as another channel to get people to come in and, and see them but the majority of the projects that we're most passionate about are board games and they tend to be on kickstarter we've thought about doing things with indiegogo we've talked with them a little bit but it's you know it's just not something that's something we're specifically driving towards in any sort of big way
0: got it so what, what's your background adam are you a developer by trade how did you know you wanted to launch something like this i was uh, completely accidental i mean i am a developer
1: uh, again, being in Columbus, Ohio, one of the big um, board game conventions is here locally. It's called Origins, and that's sort of where my passion for board games kind of spun up from. I've always been kind of a board game guy, but getting to spend time with people that were developing board games and kind of seeing where um, you know the, their you know their design of their games progressed over multiple years before Kickstarter came out because. Before Kickstarter, somebody could be developing a game for years and years and years or just have it on the back burner until one of the kind of big publishers, you know, kind of uh, consumed it to to get it produced. Uh, It it didn't seem like it was very viable for most folks to do any sort of independent publishing just because of the, you know, the capital investment and having the game actually produced usually required other than, you know, kind of self printing RPGs or something. Um, So when Kickstarter, came out and kind of injected all this potential into the board game industry it, it kind of exploded so uh, to to be in the space where you saw the transition and, and the opportunity for small folks to say hey i have this really quirky game and i want to find people that also want to have this game be made but it's just not viable even for a, a bigger company to do it just because the the focus might be too narrow but there are other people that are interested too, and they want to pool their money together and actually get it made. That was really interesting to see the, you know, that transition for the opportunities for people to you know, sit on a game for two, three, four, five years to, hey, I have an idea. And in three months, you put it on Kickstarter, and then you, know, you have a game in your hand within you know, nine, nine, 12 months. So
0: Absolutely. So in talking about transitions, how has KickTrack evolved over the years now?
1: It's really been interesting. Um, A lot of it, uh, it, again, I uh, I uh, I hate to keep falling back into the kind of the the board game focus, but seeing the the way that people use the tool is really interesting. I mean, me originally it it was completely by accident, just because I was sort of like a prolific backer, and the the tabletop industry is what kind of drove that initial concept of like stretch goals or the gamification a little bit of the campaign. So the part of the reason why I developed KickTrack was to try and guess like what stretch goals they might hit, for example. And I was doing a lot of that by hand for projects that I was backing personally. And I started writing a little bit of automation because I like to sleep. <laughs> um, so uh, as the, the, the small tool kind of evolved a little bit to be a little bit of uh, kind of self-generating, so the charting was all self-generating. It was still kind of internal so I worked a couple tools to let some other friends that were interested in other campaigns that I wasn't specifically interested in also use the tool and then I posted some of the automated charts on board game geek and some folks figured out how to add a bunch of other projects so I you know I went to bed there were 20, 25 projects in the tool and then I woke up and there was like 500 and then I realized, oh
0: this is actually a thing that people are interested in, I should probably make it not ugly and was stayed up for three days and built you know, the origins of KickTrack. So nice. So how can KickTrack help a crowdfunding project creator?
1: The biggest thing <laughs> I feel that it's most beneficial for is not necessarily like watching um, what's happening on a daily basis from project creators perspective, because really at that point, you're the ball's all already rolling. There's there's only so much that you can do once the campaign's actually running. The real power of KickTrack is to do the research prior to the campaign being launched. So things that I always um, bring up are, hey, if I'm going to make a a war game, uh, a board game or something, or some kind of specific niche thing, or even something that's more general, I want to make an iPhone accessory where you can do research on those particular projects, see things like what were their most popular reward levels, uh, because it'll help you find those in particular uh, categories or tags. And then also see things like How often were there updates and how much impact did that have on their, you know, their kind of slump funding in the middle of their campaign or or news organizations or uh, blogs that wrote about them and how much impact those had. it gives you kind of a source to find other people that have written about similar campaigns that you can maybe
0: target before you launch to get all that set up as part of the kind of push during your entire campaign. Interesting. So earlier you were mentioning some of the AI that you had built out. How accurate today are KickTrack's trending predictions?
1: Um, a lot of people confuse the, the trending algorithm on the front page that most people see with some sort of predictive nature. The, the, the main trend on the, the core of the page that a lot of people see, they see trend and they assume that it's a predictor and it's not. It's truly just a linear trend. However, we have another tool that's called our projection model. Which, which actually takes into account things like the, the peaks at the, the ends of the campaign, um, any sort of like, inactivity um, during the campaign, and lots of other factors. We find that is actually somewhat accurate for, uh, for helping predict things once you're you know, a, you know, a few days in. It's, it's still a little rough in the beginning. But it's relatively accurate once you're, you know, within four or five days of your campaign to see what it looks like that your campaign is going to do. And it's great to kind of watch the cone kind of expand or collapse depending on the accuracy of it, depending on the variability of your campaign during the progression of the campaign.
0: So on the projection side, can you give us any insights into the algorithm or what you're looking for specifically? So the way that it kind of works right now is it takes a look at all the the. Particular projects in that particular category to to
1: kind of build a model of what the the average momentum per day of a particular projects in and then it extrapolates an an average across a specific category. So obviously, if you have a particular campaign that doesn't fit that, sometimes that doesn't necessarily apply. But for the most part, again, using tabletop campaigns, they're relatively consistent in the 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 if you look at the first few days, the amount that they're earning, and if no other externalities are uh, impacting the, the campaign, what that looks like after you're in the campaign for four or five days. Obviously, stretch goals and things can impact that, but it seems relatively accurate uh, so far. I mean, again, there's always your, your outliers, but we're, we're pretty happy with how that looks. Obviously, I'm not, pers- I'm not like a, a math guy or a, a high-level data guy, so a lot of this is us internally kind of working through things or working with other people that are a heck of a lot smarter than us. Um, I'm just a developer that's super passionate about helping crowdfunding campaigns, you know, fund. And if, if we can provide free tools that help people be more successful,
0: that's what we're, we're, you know, we'd like to do. Absolutely. I mean, your site right now gets over 100,000, sometimes a quarter of a million visitors a day. What, what are most activities that users are doing on the site? Is it just checking their stats or looking for educational resources that you're providing?
1: I think from a backer perspective, one of the things that was really surprising to me, ironically, because I kind of built the tool as a backer, but I thought I was kind of an oddball. Like, I, am, I thought it was really interesting to see the progression of the campaign and seeing, like... Oh, when this stretch goal happened, they got a bunch of people that added more money to their campaign, which kind of snowballed the campaign even faster, right? But turns out, like, lots of people, like, watching the, the progression of campaigns, even, you know, a hundredfold more than the, the project creators know. But again, that, I think that's just because of the kind of ratio of backers to project owners. There's only one project or, you know, sometimes a small team versus multiple backers in a particular campaign. And sometimes people use that to inform their, you know, their decisions on whether they want to back something in, you know, at the beginning or back at the end to see how much extra things that they might get at the end versus at the beginning. And I think that's just kind of a weird behavior of the crowdfunding model. You have your people that are you know, don't mind adding you know, risk, even though there is no really initial risk to backing a Kickstarter if it doesn't fund, right? But for some reason, it's that win horse mentality where they only want to back at once it funds. So it's, it's been really interesting to see how people use the tool where I thought it was going to be more of a tool that's geared towards the project owner. And it turns out that both the project owner and backers also use it.
0: Interesting. Yeah, nobody wants to be the first one on the dance floor, but once the party's going, everybody wants to jump in, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, and again, it's really funny, especially... You know, if you compare the, the way that, uh, you know, other platforms or like Indiegogo, they have, you know, where you can pledge and whether the, they meet their goal or not, you're out the money. For Kickstarter, there's really no risk if you're truly interested in, hey, I want this widget. If you put your money in, if they get whatever their goal is, they're going to make the widget. If they don't, you're not out anything. You're not even out the money in the medium. Um, so... So it's really funny that there's this act, there's consistent activity where the first two to three days of the campaign, you got a bunch of people to pile on. And then the last three, uh, you know, two to three days, all the, you know, people that are maybe more risk averse uh, where they favored it and they want to wait to see if it actually funds and then they put their money in. So
0: yeah, we've seen a lot of activity on that 48 hour email that goes out to remind me when the project's ending. And yeah, exactly. I mean, a lot of people want to sit on the sidelines, see if, more things come to light. If they do have additional stretch goals that come out, maybe people drop out, you know, that actually backed it and they can still sneak in and get an early bird reward. Yeah. And it's, it's been really interesting, again, to kind of work with folks on the back end too
1: with the, you know, because of our pledge manager project where we see the, the actual people where they've come in and then dropped out and then come in and then drop back out. So it's, it's, it's really interesting to see that behavior too that that's something that we don't have a lot of direct uh, interaction with at least on the front end from just a high level perspective because we don't get down to the per person basis but how much of that probably additional stress that the the project owner has to deal with where they see you know an influx of people and then they might post something which irritates a certain subset of people and then people drop out and then they you know then they post something and people are happy and then a bunch of people pile back in
0: so it's, it's, it's really interesting. The ebbs and flows of crowdfunding, right? Yeah,
1: absolutely. <laughs> absolutely.
0: So let's talk about the KickTrack hot list. How did that come up and how can a creator get their project on there? How does that work?
1: So the hot list was honestly, again, I hate to keep banging this drum, but a lot of the tools for KickTrack and, you know, pledge management were built because of my specific behaviors and backing projects. So, Honestly, the hot list was originally developed to help me find projects because I didn't have time as much time as I did in the past to find projects that were really interesting. So the tool looks at behaviors of the backers that are using the site or interactions that the backers having with particular projects and applies weights and rankings to all those different behaviors and then generates dynamically generates a list of the most popular projects. Four backers or the four users of track, so it's a great place for me. Like, hey, what's really interesting today? I can go there, and it shows me like what ones either have, you know, have made a bunch of money in particular today, or have the most backer interactions because of project updates, or have a lot of news written about them, or have a large increase or flux of um, backer behavior. So it, it for me it was again finding projects that i didn't want to miss out on because what got me into kickstarter was a friend of mine was like hey there's this really cool game that i think you would like it's on this platform called kickstarter i never heard of it you just go and buy it because he assumed it was more like an he expressed that it was more like an e-commerce transaction right and he was like hey uh and i and then i waited a week and then i went to look it up to buy it um it was the project was closed so my first experience with Kickstarter was I missed something. And so some of that still
0: lingers in some of the, the functionality and behaviors of the way KickTrack works. And the hot list is a per- perfect example of that. How closely do you think your hot list and algorithm mimics the ranking of Kickstarter and how projects get ranked on their platform? It's
1: completely different. The way that Kickstarter, I think they have what they call like their magic their algorithm that does that but i think some of that is driven by the internal kind of curated list of a lot of the kickstarter favorite projects Um, i think that has some impact to that i'm not sure exactly how they particularly flag the magic sorted stuff but i find like a lot of it is weighted towards a lot of the projects that they've specifically highlighted and i know those are done by the particular curators of a particular category so they actually have like a a group of people that just manage the tabletop folks in, on Kickstarter. And those are the folks that pick like the favorites of the Kickstarter highlighted projects. And how that influences the magic ranking, I honestly don't know.
0: So what do you think a campaign creator could do to improve their chances of success during their campaign or pre-campaign? We always use the moniker of
1: you know if you if you want to have a successful project it's kind of like a stadium so before the game before your game you don't want to have to find people while the game is going on you're too busy things are too stressful you got lots of other things you need to focus on so you really need to fill that stadium before you're, you know you have your big game and you know that means you know, you gotta do legwork up front. You cannot always fix the problem during the campaign with and even as somebody who's a platform who does advertising, sometimes we we don't we tell people we don't want them to advertise because we know that we're not gonna be able to really help them, especially from a small project perspective. And that's probably really weird, but we would rather people be successful. Uh, cancel their project which cancellations and relaunches are not necessarily failures there's tons of multi-million dollar campaigns that did that exact same thing and they were perfectly fine and sometimes it's just a you know a a, a way that you learn and, and you can always roll those people into the next campaign so that's not always a bad thing but we always whatever you need to do to fill that stadium and sometimes that means you need to go out and find the people are likely to be most interested in your campaign, and if that board game, sometimes that means you got to do the convention circuits, and you got to play test your game with people, and you've got to be willing to to get it out in front of people and have them tell you that your baby is ugly, and and you know grind up on social media if you want to get that following and be interactive with the people. No amount of advertising is is going to magically make people love you because your backers are your biggest advocates for. You know, for every backer that you can get to love your project and tell other people about it, is going to be a better return
0: a hundredfold than than the amount that you could dump into advertising. Absolutely, yeah. The uh, the crowdfunding campaign is won or lost well before it ever launches, right?
1: Absolutely. I mean, there's always things that you can mitigate. Like <laughs> if, if you're you're doing pretty well and you have an established thing, or sometimes you're just lucky and you have something that's super quirky and it gets lots of people to. Uh, you know, lots of attention from a viral perspective, but you can't really plan for that. So, you know, to do that legwork up front, again, trying to do that preliminary research where if you can get yourself or build relationships with people that might talk about you or find those kind of power backers that are super passionate about your project during the campaign and enable them, give them the ability to tell other people about you as easy as possible or give them incentives. So um, sometimes projects use stretch goals that impact uh, are impacted by, you know, social factors, so how many Facebook shares they have or or you know those type of things. So there's lots of different ways that you can
0: use the the backers to your, you know, best benefit. Absolutely. So what would be your number one piece of advice for someone thinking of launching a crowdfunding project?
1: Um get it in front of people that aren't your friends and family, uh, especially from like a small creator perspective. If you're a, you know, you're a company, you probably know some of this, but a lot of people, if they're, you know, kind of running solo gunning, they tend to kind of just uh,
0: show their campaigns to their friends and family. And even if it's just small things, a lot of
1: your friends and family are not going to be completely honest with you. And it's not their fault, it's just, it's just the behavior that people have as a society, right? So to get as much uh, external, sometimes completely nebulous uh, groups of people to look at your campaign and tell you what is good or bad or what might be beneficial and and, and see if there's some sort of trend between people because, you know, I might have an opinion on something. Um, somebody else might have an opinion on something. But if there's some overlap, that might be telling. So if we both say, hey, your campaign video, like I can't, the audio is bad or it the campaign video doesn't sell me within the first 15 to 30 seconds. And I was completely bored or there's not, there's no information on the campaign from the body perspective. That's going to sell me on this particular game. There's no visuals. There's no art. There's no things that are catchy. Those are things that you want to fix before you launch, because you can't, you can't re acquire people that have come to the campaign and then completely lost interest. They're not going to come back. So you get one shot at that. And if you can fix that up front, then
0: you're not going to lose those people on their first impressions in those first two to three days. Absolutely. Solid advice there, Adam. This gets us into our launch round. where I'm going to rapid fire questions at you, Adam. You good to go?
1: <laughs> I hope so.
0: All right. So what inspired you to be an entrepreneur?
1: Oh, man. That is a... Uh... I don't know. I like helping people. I-, I always have.
0: What's your favorite crowdfunding project?
1: Uh, Zombicide.
0: If you could play a board game with any entrepreneur throughout history, who would it be?
1: Oh, wow. I would play Scythe with Elon Musk.
0: What would be your first question for Elon?
1: (laughs) Oh, man. How did he do
0: it? Fair enough. What book is on your nightstand? Oh, um, Name of the Wind. Who will be the next CEO of Kickstarter?
1: (laughs) I have no idea.
0: All right. Last question. What does the future of crowdfunding look like?
1: I think it's, we're going to start seeing a lot of segmentation. I think you're starting to see this with other types of areas where crowdfunding is becoming a lot more accepted. So I think there's going to be specialized places for things like I need to crowdfund a video game. I need to crowdfund some content creation where you've seen Patreon become
0: insanely popular in the last few years. I think you're going to start seeing that with kind of a large... Uh, popular groups of crowdfunding are going to break off of kind of the big gorillas and become their own thing. Adam, this has been great. Please give our audience your pitch. Tell them what you're all about, where they should go and why they should go check out KickTrack.
1: Again, we, we, all the tools that we provide on KickTrack are free. There's nothing that you need to do to go to do anything special. You can just hop on over to KickTrack, find products on your particular interests do research on projects if you're a project creator. And we also have an advertising program that is, that is available if you like to use it that's a little bit unique and that if you use this for your advertising and you don't fund, we actually let you relaunch your advertising completely for free. We also have another tool called Pledge Manager that is a post-campaign fulfillment tool that you can use to handle all the logistics of your campaign after the fact. So
0: Awesome. Adam, thank you so much for joining us. Audience, thank you again for tuning in. Make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com for all the show notes, a full transcript, and links to everything we talked about today. And also, we're working hard on to bring you fresh insights and tips on crowdfunding, but we need your help. We're asking you guys to visit artofthekickstart.com slash survey and take a few moments to answer three simple questions to help us improve Art of the Kickstart. We will have an awesome giveaway. Of course, it will be a crowdfunded product just in time for Christmas delivery. So check out artofthekickstart.com survey. And of course, thank you to our crowdfunding podcast sponsors, The Gadget Flow and Backerkit. Adam, thank you so much for joining us today on Art of the Kickstart. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Art of the Kickstart, the show about building a business, world, and life with crowdfunding. If you've enjoyed today's episode, awesome. Make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com and tell us all about it. There you'll find additional information about past episodes, our Kickstarter guide to crushing it. And of course, if you love this episode a lot, leave us a review at artofthekickstart.com iTunes. It helps more inventors, entrepreneurs, and startups find this show and helps us get better guests to help you build a better business. If you need more hands-on crowdfunding strategy advice, please feel free to request a quote on inventuspartners.com. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you again next week.